Hi, I'm Ali Maldro, the host of A Public Affair on Tuesdays. You can listen to this show any day of the week, any hour of the day on the WORT smartphone app or on wortfm.org. If you love what you hear, click that donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six foot six above sea level. I grab my mic because I like to take it to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. Good afternoon, Madison. You're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. This is a public affair. And today we're talking about how to how to resolve gun violence and and we're, you know. In the studio, live from the studio with Jeff Wild, who's a retired pastor who now turns guns into gardening tools, and Dan Elsoss, who is a member of First Unitary First United Methodist Church in Madison and is helping organize a Guns to Garden event on Saturday, June third. Last month, two Wisconsin police officers were killed during a traffic shop stop. The shooter had legally purchased mini guns. This was despite being prohibited from pof- pof- from possessing firearms because of a, a mental health commitment order a decade earlier. WPR also reported that family members alerted police about the shooter's declining mental health just prior to the incident. Today, I have two guests in the studio, and we are hoping to help prevent gun violence by turning guns into gardens. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How did you get involved with turning guns into gardens? Um, Guns into Garden Tools has been a movement that began emerging 10 years ago. Um, There are two people, one named Mike Martin, who comes from the Mennonite tradition, and another um, activist and author named Shane Claiborne, who just serendipitously got together and began to turn firearms into garden tools. Um, And this is sort of a a connection with a a scriptural verse from Isaiah where um, God is talking about a new age to come of turning spears into plowshares or swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. And that movement began, like I said, about 10 years ago. There's another organization, the Presbyterian Peace Fellowship, that has really lifted this up and provides training for um, any faith communities that want to host safe surrender events. So um, I was trained through that organization and hosted work to host the first buyback event at Midvale Community Lutheran Church one year ago. Thank you so much for this work and thank you for for talking a little bit about, you know, what it looks like and what it means to be a part of it. Dan, how long have you been, you know, part part of organizing guns into gardening tools? Um, Just a little over a year and a half, Allie. And uh, I did this uh, as a result of First United Methodist Church, which is uh, our motto is downtown for good. And um, the uh, I found some fellow uh, church members that were equally passionate about 
uh, gun violence reduction. So we formed uh, a study group, and uh, that was probably late 2021. And uh, we started educating ourselves, and also we want to educate the greater Madison community in both the causes of of gun violence and mass shootings is is basically what we started on and also uh, trying to do some lobbying we started out uh, trying to lobby our state and federal legislators on uh, several of the issues you just mentioned uh, what they call red flag laws and also uh, stricter uh, federal and state background checks for uh, those wishing to purchase firearms. And also um, one of our key priorities is renewing the assault weapon ban that was in effect uh, through the federal government from 1994 to 2004, but unfortunately sunsetted uh, in 2004. Hasn't been brought back since. Dan and Jeff, I, I think it's interesting to think about kind of how faith communities are positioned in the conversation around gun violence. Dan, you mentioned before the show that you're a former, former elected official. So I'm sure you know that faith communities have been uh, frequently associated with conservatism in the United States um, and that conservatives have have made gun violence a partisan issue um, and have really made it about the rights of individuals to own and possess guns. Uh, talk to me a, a little bit about the politics of, of the work that you're doing and you know how you reconcile those with, with your faith community. I'll start with, with you, Jeff. It's, uh, it's a big issue and a big question, how faith communities relate to this. Um, Part of the reason when I give demonstrations or presentations pertaining to gun violence, part of um, my motivation for continuing to address this issue is um, a group of people of a different branch of Christian faith than my own that um, holds the Second Amendment up to um, a standard that uh, personally I don't agree with and I don't think. Um, holds the same authority as as um, my understanding of uh, ethics shaped through biblical and theological study and reflection and shaping. Um, one one reason I I speak as I do when I give a presentation is to um, combat or repudiate the false teachings that are being perpetuated, especially through Christian nationalism. Um, they elevate gun ownership to being a God-given right. I've heard that directly from, from that, and it struck me when I heard that, where does that come from? And I really tried to trace it, and you can trace that right back to Christian nationalism um, and a religion that um, says it's, it is a God-given right, which um, I disagree with. I don't believe it is a God-given right, and I don't elevate 
uh, the Constitution or the Second Amendment to say it's divinely inspired and absolute. Mm, thank you so much for speaking to that. Dan, can you talk a little bit about kind of how you reconcile the, the political conversation around gun violence and gun control um, with, with you know, your, 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 your faith and, and what mm. it means to um, combat violence, gun violence from a space of a faith-based community? Well, um, I think personally, uh, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, in Christian teachings, a lot of pacifism. Uh, and uh, I, I believe it's still in the Ten Commandments that thou shalt not kill. Uh, so, uh, to me, that's not a difficult personal decision, but I also recognize that there are uh, traditions um, in uh, our uh, communities and families with um, gun ownership, which um, specifically with hunting, and that uh, generations uh, have passed that down. It, it's a bonding experience in families. But I think we as Christians need to separate um, uh, safe hunting, hunting practices and well-regulated hunting practices with uh, the need for having uh, weapons for personal safety and I just saw a Pew um, uh, survey, national survey, that said 60% of uh, those that own guns have them for, quote, personal safety and protection, unquote, purposes. So um, I don't know if that means that's a lack of faith um, in our Creator to protect us. Um, but I do believe in the peaceable uh, kingdom as presented in the Bible. So. Thank you both for, for speaking to, you know, both your faith, faith and the, the politics of gun ownership in the United States. If you want to join this conversation, if you want to learn more about turning guns into garden tools, give us a call at 608-256-2001. We'd love to hear from you. Whether you've never shot a gun or you own 20, um, let us let us know what you think. I, I have to ask because I think, you know, in a state like Wisconsin, there is a real sentiment of responsible gun ownership that the vast majority of people who own guns are never going to kill anybody, are never going to shoot anybody, um, you know, are, are not likely to to harm, you know, other people with their guns um what why do you want to you know why do you want to regulate responsible gun owners why do you want to take guns out of the hands of, of people who are well-intentioned i'll start with you jeff no thank you i don't want to take any guns away from people who are well-intentioned at the same time um i would engage in a conversation about the safe storage of firearms because um, domestic abuse, violence and domestic abuse, um, self-harm, um, gun deaths by suicides, 
are uh, occur at a much higher rate if there's a firearm in the home. It's like you're five times more likely uh, that a um, gun violence and death would occur from someone in the home that you know. Um, so I think responsible ownership is a very high priority, and that means safe storage um, if there are children in the home. Um, so I think those are very important um, pieces. The The work that we do are in terms of self-surrender um, is not about taking guns away from anybody. It's uh, These are voluntary surrenders um, that engage people in the question, do they need firearms in the home? Many of the people that we receive guns from um, are the hunters who no longer have a use for them or the guns are no longer trustworthy and safe. Uh, grandparents who have grandchildren don't want firearms around. Widows whose husbands were hunters and passed away um, don't know what to do with the firearms. So in our opinion, it's very much a service to the community rather than a threat uh, of somehow removing guns, taking guns away from people. Um, that's a myth that any attempt to take guns away from people, for instance, the outlawing of the AR-15, which just has one purpose, um, and that's to kill people, um, that that somehow puts us on a slippery slope um, to taking all the guns away, and that to me is another myth. Um, I just wanted to chime in on that. Um, there. I think there's a clear, even uh, hunters and people that may have a, a handgun for home protection would probably agree, and I think some national figures show it's the vast majority, are uh, opposed to legal purchase of um, AK-47s, AR-15s uh, and 17s, these are uh, rifles with, um, they, you can actually fit them with, um, they can carry up to 30 or 40 rounds of, of without reloading. Uh, these are military-style assault weapons, and uh, they, as Jeff said, they have one purpose, to maim uh, and murder uh, an enemy, basically. And then uh, the other group uh, in handguns, uh, there's uh, the Glock uh, military service revolvers, are uh, the Glock 17, 19, and now I think there's a Glock 45 and 47. And they can uh, hold up to 15 or 17 rounds without, and, and these are the weapons that are usually uh, used in the mass shootings at schools and um, uh, shopping malls. These are the, the weapons I think we can all agree uh, should be off 
the streets and and private citizens shouldn't have those. Well, I would I would say I, I want to distinguish myself from you all because I think you all are, are very like kind and, and gentle when it comes to asking people to to not have guns or as violent of guns. Um, I'm unarmed and I think that you should be too. I'm, I'm definitely pro people not having access um, um, to guns in their in their homes in part because I think even when people take the precautions to be particularly safe, um, horrific things can happen. You know, I have a friend whose brother grew up hunting and, you know, in a matter of 14 minutes, he broke up with his first girlfriend in middle school and made the decision to use the same weapon he had been taught to store properly um, to take his own life. And so I I think, you know, I think there's a a mythology around uh, the safety uh, of guns and and how, how people use them. And I think we have kind of started to accept that gun violence is inevitable. So we may be passively asking people to turn in their guns, but we are routinely training our children at school to rehearse Mm. um, active shooter drills. I want to talk to you all a, a little bit about you know, what you want from leadership, what you want from elected officials in terms of addressing gun violence. I think turning guns into into gardening tools is a a beautiful sentiment, but I can't believe that you two think that that's enough. Um, So beyond the work that you're doing, what do you want from your representatives in terms of addressing this issue? I agree it is not enough. It's one facet of a multi-faceted issue and people carry firearms or have firearms for different reasons. Um, originally I was of the mind that it was for security's sake, you know, self, um, self-defense. And um, I think it is the case for why being so many firearms are being sold nowadays. The the fear, the fires of fear are being stoked time and time again um, due to mass shootings or or what politicians are saying. Um, I believe politicians have a responsibility to address this issue um, free from the influence of powerful lobbies, um, in, including one of our senators from Wisconsin who has received millions of dollars in donations from the firearm empire. Which one of our senators? Senate, <laughs> that would be Senator Ron Johnson. And, um, you know, it, he manages to uh, wiggle out of that by saying we need to enforce all the laws that are on the books. But as I said, I, th- I think it's a political issue. It's a social issue, too. And we have to address the disparities that exist um, within populations um, that are that make up communities. And my emphasis, you know, I'm a retired preacher, and is about addressing people's hearts and minds, and you know, having people look at it from a different perspective than solely the political issue perspective and um, have them look at how they've been influenced by firearms throughout their life, either very personally or on a corporate level. 
And I believe that um, as a whole, congregations, churches, denominations have been remiss in raising the issue. Um, I think there are reasons for that, but um, it has to be addressed. It's a moral issue. It's a faith issue. And so I, my goal is just as you're transforming a, a firearm into a hand trowel or a pickaxe, um, it's about changing hearts and minds also, really examining the necessity of packing a, a, a holster with a gun in it um, and taking the risk. And I think it, it's not only about insecurity and fear and self-defense. There's also something to be said about one's need for power and look at the issues underlying the power and why is that? Is it because a young man growing up never has any power and it suddenly makes him powerful? Um, it's about identity as well. Um, I think hyper-masculinity feeds the whole uh, piece about acquiring firearms and using them as well. Oh, I love that you are are naming hypermasculinity as one of the, you know, things that fuels violence in our society, particularly gun violence. If you're just tuning in, <coughs> you're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Maldro. <coughs> Today is Tuesday, and I'm so sorry. I have a little bit of a cough. We are in the studio today talking about gun violence with Dan and Jeff, who are working on an event this, uh, well, next Saturday, Saturday, June 3rd, they will be uh, getting folks together to turn guns into garden tools. Can you all, uh, before, well, I want to ask you a little bit about how you turn a gun into a garden tool. Um, so I, I want to get into, you know, what that actually looks like. Are you all melting guns? Um, but before we talk about that, Dan, you brought in some some data and, and stats on on you know, what gun ownership and gun violence really looks like, both mm -hmm. nationally and locally. Can you talk to us a little bit about uh, the reality of gun violence? I think often people think it's not that we have an issue with gun violence, it's that it stands out in our memories longer than other things when somebody walks into a school and shoots a large group of children. Sure. Um, yeah, we all, I think, Allie, we tend to focus on the, uh, you know, really mass uh, shootings which are defined as four or more individuals are either killed or uh, injured um, in a shooting and there have been just in 2023 there have been 202 mass shootings in the first 143 days it's more um, than one a day. Right, like 1.3, something like that. But um, specifically, there's also, and in 2022, there were 647 nationally. So, I mean, those are horrific statistics. But to break it down a little bit, um, the Pew Research Center in 2021 for that calendar year uh, said gun-related deaths in the United States were at uh, 49,000. Um, and 54% of those deaths, however, were not related to 
either crimes or hom or homicides or mass shootings, um, that fifty four percent were um, gun assisted suicides. So the most likely person you will kill with your gun is you. Right. And also there's a figure that if you own a gun and have it in your house and not secured, you're 10 more times to have someone in your household uh, badly injured or killed than you are to shoot an intruder. Um, but the getting back to the suicides, uh, and Jeff was talking about, uh, they tend to be teenagers or, or people in their early 20s who may or may not be having some mental, mental crisis or they may be bullied at their schools. Those are the highest uh, amount, 26,000 lives were taken because they got access probably to their parents or an older relative's weapons in the house. So um, when Jeff talks about the moral crisis, it's also uh, we in our study group at First United Methodists think that it's very much related to not enough counseling and mental health um, uh, access by our youth. And that can be in schools or community centers, public health departments. So we think that's uh, a major component of this whole discussion. Thank you so much for bringing that that information. And I think that paints a, a really important picture in terms of, you know, the the real issue that is gun violence and how common an issue that is. It's just impacting thousands of families across the United States every single day. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. And today we are talking with Jeff Wild and Dan, oh, I was just going to say your name wrong, Elsas, about an upcoming Safe Surrender event on June 3rd. Our team today is engineer Ashley, receptionist Steve, producer Jade, and news director Sholly Pittman. If you want to join this conversation, the number is 608-256-2001. We would love to hear your thoughts about Safe Surrender, about gun violence, gun control, whether you are a person who's never shot a gun or a person who owns 50, we want to hear from you. So the number is 608-256-2001. 2001 join the conversation on 89.9 FM Madison. I was going to ask right before we got into some really pretty tragic statistical information um, about how you turn guns into gardening tools. What is what does it look like to yeah, to re to reuse the materials associated with guns? I for me it's a, a creative um, expression of my of my faith um, and the emphasis on transformation, um, but and it's it's a process. Um, it takes practice, like most crafts do. Um, but it's first of all, uh, so many people refer to, to it as melting guns down. Uh, part of the 
what led me into this. I have a background, uh, worked in college through my college years in a foundry, and uh, there you do melt steel down into a molten um, material that's poured into molds and uh, reconfigured into castings. Uh, blacksmithing is different. You don't melt them down. You heat them up to very high temperatures, a glowing red-orange color. And when you know that it's heated enough, you can take it out and work it over an anvil. Um, and like I said, for me, I'm pretty much strictly working with firearms now. It's what I have time for. Um, so there's a lot of repetition to it, um, and I don't think it is especially difficult. It is warm, and you have to exercise caution. But it's also a very satisfying experience to transform a weapon into a tool that can be used re for restorative purposes of working with the earth and seed and soil and trusting in uh, sunshine and warm weather for a seed to germinate and sprout and um, grow produce um, that can be harvested and shared with others and delighted in. So, um, the, interestingly, the the f the furnace I use, um, the forge itself, is propane fired and about the size of a microwave uh, oven, um, and I work right out of my garage. Um, so it's not the don't you know when I talk to older people, new blacksmiths. Um, it's the coal-fired forge they're thinking of, and that's not what this is. So it's all very portable, so I can move it around and go to different places where I'm invited. Um, you need a cutting tool. Uh, it's a power tool to cut the barrel sizes into the lengths you need them for either the hand trowel or uh, pickaxe, or also called a mattock. Um, and it involves using um, tools to make holes and split things and uh, uh, to allow for handles to be placed. Thank you so much for that very thorough explanation of how <laughs> this is done. I feel like I could, you know, start turning guns into gardening tools myself after after that. Glad little, to show you sometime. Little tutorial. I would love, I'm going to take you up on that. Good. We have our, our first caller of the show. Great. Phil would like to talk to us a little bit about the Second Amendment. Phil, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, and I appreciate this uh, conversation and the perspectives that have been uh, shared thus far. Um, my interest is to bring the Second Amendment into the conversation, and if I may read that very quickly. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Um, the Second Amendment was created at a time when uh, the British were a major threat uh, and after the Constitution and the Bill of Rights were written, the Second Amendment being obviously the second of the, those rights, um, they feared uh, very much a, a British invasion, which took place. And um, uh, I, it, it's important for people to understand that the Second Amendment, that the right to keep firearms, is not one 
um, that uh, was granted willy-nilly uh, or even for the convenience or security of of the individual. It was to protect the nation from another British invasion, such as happened in 1770. Five and 76. Oh, I very oh. deeply appreciate the perspective, and mm-hmm. thank you for, for reading the Second Amendment to us. I don't want to cut you off. I want to let you kind of wrap up your thoughts, and then yeah, I want to hear me, from our guests. One, one quick thought. The, the thought is that the Congress, the courts thus far, and most of the people don't understand this, and that um, the Second Amendment was never designed for people to... Uh, have armories and uh, no automatic weapons, of course, then existed. It was muskets when this uh, uh, law was written. So I just think that it's really important for us to weigh on our legislators to change the Second Amendment, uh, if necessary, in a constitutional amendment, a, a constitutional convention, because that amendment is not working for the United States today. Thank you. Thank you for joining the conversation, Phil, and for being, you know, I appreciate that that everybody's got a pretty educational hat on this afternoon. Um, that, was, that was really insightful and informative. And I want to give, you know, both Dan and Jeff a chance to respond to that. Dan, what, what, did, you, what did you think about what our caller had uh, to say? I think uh, as a long, long time ago, I heard the late, great... Uh, Supreme Court Justice and Chief Justice Earl Warren uh, give his opinion and he said you cannot separate the right to bear arms from the phrase uh, a well-regulated I think is the uh, key words uh, militia which of course we didn't have states at that time Uh, but I know in some countries um, the any uh, rifles or assault weapons, even when the state controls them, have to be locked up in an armory and can only be used in extreme uh, situations, mostly to defend the country from invasion. So we've gone way, way beyond uh, what uh, Earl Warren's uh, opinion of what the Constitution says. Yeah, we have I mean, I think if you're thinking of guns as a way to protect your community, to protect yourself, we're we're obviously outside the bounds of that if the most common use for a gun is suicide. Um, I, I want to get back to the event um, and ask you, Jeff, you've been doing this for a really long time. How many guns do you actually get when you do safe surrenders? How many people show up and say, you know, here's my gun? And given the description you gave, which sounded like you're getting a lot of kind of hunting gear, a lot of, of stuff that maybe doesn't work as well, or widows are turning in, you know, stuff that their husband had that they don't want. How often do you actually get the, the kinds of guns that are used to perpetrate, you know, mass shootings? How often do you get an AR-15? How often does somebody show up with, you know, a, a machine gun and hand it over? Last year, um, I, although I've been forging for five years now, or maybe six, um, last year was the first guns to garden tools 
self-safe surrender in the state of Wisconsin. It's a growing movement. This year we have two um, safe surrender events scheduled, and, and there have also been some very effective gun buybacks, for instance, hosted by the Dane County Sheriff's Office, um, and um, they received hundreds of firearms. Um, we received 30 firearms last year. Um, each had a story, which I found very interesting. But you referred to the AR-15s. Um, there was one man who pulled up and said, I'm a hunter, I own guns, but my brother died and I inherited these two AR-15s. And he said, these are his words, they serve no other purpose than killing other people and I don't want them in my home. And so um, that that to me was a very successful self-surrender event. Um, we know that those AR-15s were not stolen by a person who might use them in a dangerous way. Um, they weren't sold to a person who might use them for um, killing people. And, you know, they were surrendered and we cut them up with our trap saws. If I could go back to the Constitution question for a minute. Absolutely. Um, I really appreciated the caller, Phil. Um, yes. And making that point, I a few years ago read a book about the whole history of the development of that med amendment, which came out of the uh, British tradition. More recently, there is a, an incredible book called Second. Uh, I, the author's name is eluding me at the moment, but she... Um, contends in the book that one of the major planks of the Second Amendment, um, this was promoted by southern states um, who maybe had slaves at one time and were now fearful of uh, former slaves or African-American people rising up in resistance to what were still very oppressive ways. And uh, so they were really pushing the Second Amendment uh, for the purpose of uh, suppressing any kind of rebellions on the part of African-American peoples, which I found really revealing. And not only that, the laws that come out of the Second Amendment or relate to Second Amendment, such as standing your ground, the kingdom doctrine, where a young man comes to your door mistakenly picking up a, a brother or sister, is shot because he's a teenager and he's African American. Um, and how often the white shooter is not, they might be charged, but not convicted of the crime. Um, that people, it seems as though these laws are not being equally uh, upheld based upon one's race. I don't know if it necessarily seems that way. I think that that is a proven element of our reality, right? We live in the state of Wisconsin. I work uh, in, in public education. Uh, 
we we see kids spend more time in jail um, for bringing a gun to school and not shooting it mm-hmm. than Kyle Rittenhouse spent mm-hmm. in jail for coming to Wisconsin from Illinois and murdering two people. Right. Um, so the the that dynamic is is something we've been talking about uh, for for decades. And you know, if you think about it, I guess in in the greater scheme of history, for centuries. Um, I, I wonder then how the work that you all are doing addresses that dynamic. How does race factor in to where you have a safe surrender, who you're mm-hmm. hoping shows up, who you're marketing to, who you're connecting with, whose guns um, do you want, and, and how do you, do you let them know? Um, I'm glad you raised that, Allie, because we were just having that discussion in a Zoom meeting last week about advertising for uh, both events and I will just say again for listeners that do have guns to turn in those are June 3rd at uh, from 9 to 12 a.m. at um, First United Methodist Church at the corner of Dayton and Wisconsin Avenues and at Midvale Lutheran Church 4329 Toke Boulevard at the corner of Midvale, and that one is June 10th, again from 9 to 12 a.m. So uh, to answer your question, we did place um, press releases and requests um, in the uh, Capital City Hughes magazine or news, news, next uh, newsletter. Uh, we have tried to get it on um, Channel 27, I think was uh, because we have a contact through one of the churches. Um, but that's the real issue is to get it out. You know, uh, some people have said, well, why don't you put it on the public radio uh, uh, bulletin board or something. Uh, we're trying to reach everyone in Dane County, uh, particularly in rural areas, areas where there's been uh, drive-by shootings. Um, and the other issue is how do we entice people to turn these in? And as opposed to... Uh, Sheriff Calvin uh, Barrett's uh, turn in. We are not law enforcement people. We won't be checking on your registration or ownership. We don't really care how you came by the weapon. Uh, We just want them out of the homes and off the streets. And we're not going to make any judgments as to why you chose to own a uh, AR-15, for example, we're just going to safely, we ask you bring them unloaded in the trunk of your car. We have 10 to 12 church volunteers uh, that will be uh, taking them out of the trunk, checking that they're not loaded, turning them over to Jeff and his assistant who will be using the chop saws to break them up because under state law, one, we cannot have a buy a true buyback uh, because 
that would be an illegal exchange of a weapon. And we also have to make sure they're totally disassembled by the time we take them out of the church parking lot um, or else it's an illegal uh, buy. Does anybody show up to make sure that you all are doing this safely and appropriately? Do do police stop by and 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 say, "Hey, we just we want to make sure that you all are acquiring these weapons in the safest possible way, and that this isn't um, an illegal transaction." Yes, um, last year um, uh, the county sheriff came by, and we did have a. Um, um, Madison police officer spent some time with us. He gave me his card with phone number and said, if there's anything that comes up, please, please call me. Um, I'd like to go back to the racial issue that you raised. Thank um, you. And, you know, um, I, I make myself available to any congregations or community group that wants to have a presentation um, and a dialogue about gun violence. Um, needless to say, people aren't lining up my door at my door to to get me on their schedules. Um, I am busy enough um, and appreciate the invitations I do have, but I have reached out to the African-American community in several ways um, and haven't been able to get any traction there. And I don't feel it's my responsibility. I'm an old white guy, and uh, I don't feel like I can go to African-American pastors and congregations and and, uh, force this or finesse this upon them. Um, To be honest, I've tried very hard. Well, I think it's interesting because I think there's an association with black people and violence, particularly with gun violence. Um, There's an association in Wisconsin with the bigger cities or metropolises or urban areas and gun violence. Madison, Wisconsin, or Dane County, has an average of about seven homicides a year. Um, the most likely person to kill you in Dane County isn't somebody random or, or somebody on the street. It's your husband or your boyfriend. Um, I, I want to hear from our caller, Kathy. Kathy, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for joining the conversation. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I want to say hi to Dan, who goes to my church. Hi, and Kathy. I'd like, I, and I'd like to um, have you repeat after I hang up the um, event, the time and place of the event, because I heard it was this Saturday, but I didn't catch the time or place. Yes. And um, I have several comments, but um, three are involved family tragedies. And um, I know, well, my personal story is that um, my grandparents, we're at, at the lake, the family lake, and um, we had a beaver problem with the beavers trying to dam up the outflow of the lake. And so my grandfather was down at the dock and he, spot, he spotted a beaver. So he went down to the dock with his rifle to shoot it. Um, and then his great granddaughter, who was very small, said, why are you shooting at Carol? Which was his daughter. And if she hadn't been there, he would have picked, picked off you know, his daughter, Jesus. which was, yes. And, you know, he, he got shaky in the knees, and, of course, he went and put the gun away, but he did not, he still didn't get rid of it. We didn't get rid of it until after he died. Um, the second 
tragedy that I know about personally occurred in Madison where a, a child, um, I think she was a young girl, middle school age, and she was just a wonderful girl, everybody's friend. And she was, um, I think she was Cambodian, uh, of Cambodian origin, and her nickname was Little Bit. And she was playing at some friend's house, and they got out a gun, which they were sure was unloaded, and she got shot and killed mm. by one of her friends. It, it was terrible for all the children. And um, the other one I just read about was a child in Cross, West of here, Cross Plains or Megamania, you know, somewhere out there, who was also killed in a similar incident. Young children playing at home with an unloaded gun and the child dies. I mean, these are such tragedies. Um, it's just so sad. And I want to say that the NRA used to be a responsible organization advocating for responsible gun ownership and um, hunter safety and precautions and hunter education, all about that. And there was a time during their history when they turned um, into the organization they are now, but they did not start out that way. Um, and, you know, gun manufacturers are unlike manufacturers of other products because guns are not consumables. Mm. You know, you can buy, you need more ammunition, but you don't really need to buy another gun. Once you've got your gun, it's not going to wear out typically. And so in order to increase their sales, um, gun manufacturers had to do something to convince people that they needed more guns or better guns or more powerful guns, etc. because otherwise their business model wasn't really as sustainable as they would like it to be. Kathy, I want to thank you so much for, for joining us in this conversation, for bringing up that this is a manufactured issue, that there is a profit um, factor that needs to be considered, that this is, you know, uh, uh, that guns are part of a ca capitalist enterprise. I also greatly appreciate you you talking about the accidental death of, of young people who encounter guns or play with guns, um, you know, because they're, they're children and they don't necessarily know better or understand the, the consequences. I read a quote recently that was never in the history um, uh, of mankind has somebody stumbled upon uh, a book and killed their little sister. Um, mm. But we ban books in this country. Mm. We don't ban guns. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give you the, the opportunity, Dan, to remind everybody uh -huh. when they can safely surrender their gun. Uh, again, it's Saturday, June 3rd from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. or noon. And you should uh, come down Dayton Street is the entrance into the parking lot and stay to the north or, or far right lane. And just pull in and a greeter will be there. And also I, I should say we are giving out gift card thank yous uh, for groceries. Uh, $50 for a long barrel rifle uh, that includes 22s and uh, $150 worth of grocery at Pick and Save uh, for handguns and 250 for semi-automatic handguns or rifles. So again, June 3rd, and if you miss, can't make that one, Midvale Lutheran, uh, 
4329 Toke Boulevard from 9 to noon again. Um, we'll be having it on June Saturday, June 10th. And Jeff might add why those dates. Thank you. Um, June 10th, well, first of all, June is uh, National Gun Violence Month, um, which I don't think receives... And Pride. Oh, yeah. that too. Um, and uh, June 10th is kind of the target date for um, communities around the nation uh, to offer a safe surrender event. And if it can't be June 10th, it can be another time as well. So, we I love that you all are doing both June 3rd and June 10th, and I want to encourage folks to engage in safe surrender, to get the word out there. Um, I didn't hear you all mention that you use social media to promote the word, so if you're out there listening, feel free to, to post about this on your Facebook, your Twitter, your Instagram, um, and let's try to make our community safer and, and you know, do something about gun violence. There's been a lot of criticism, and this is my last question of the hour, and I'm hoping you all can both answer it relatively quickly, of thoughts and prayers, um, that that people don't just want thoughts and par- prayers. Now, me personally, I don't have anything against thoughts and prayers, but I don't think thoughts and, and prayers are enough. That being said, is there a, a prayer or a, a sentiment of faith um, that you want to exchange with with the folks who... Uh, are the survivors of gun violence before before we're done in the next 54 seconds? Well, I need more than 54 seconds to think about that, Allie. But um, thoughts and prayers, even though well-meaning is a part of the whole cycle that we seem to go through repetitively, which I think is very sad. But um, I think taking action is a prayer informed by prayer to see changes occur to a more peaceable world. Well, that's really, really beautiful. Do you have anything you want to add to that, Dan? Um, I just was always taught growing up that God helps those that help themselves, and concrete actions go along with thoughts and prayers. So uh, we need to uh, do even small steps uh, like this. They may be more symbolic, but when we have over 500 million uh, guns and rifles out there in this country, it's just absurd. Thank you both for joining me on WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. This is a public affair. Make sure you show up at the Safe Surrender on June 3rd and June 10th. Huge thank you to Jeff Wilde and Dan Elsoss. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground, another pirate station. We bring the truth to places.